Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Anite Podcast. This is actually the first episode of season four of the Anite Podcast. So, really briefly before we get started, I wanted to just talk really quickly about some of the changes that we're going to have with this new season four. So, um, first off, we're going to be focusing more on current events. So, we're going to have a news section and talking a lot about currently airing anime. Um, and then we will also be keeping a very regular schedule of every other week. And we're going to have kind of more regular members. And I'm going to give more of an explanation on Anite's website in the posting for this podcast. So if you want to see more information about that, definitely check out Anite.org. Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and start this first episode then. So I am your usual host, Proton Storm, And with me today, I have Hybrid Mink. Yo, what's up? The Mama Luigi. Hello. And my boy Requiem. Yo. And so the four of us today, I want to get started here. We're watching some anime this season, spring 2019. And one of the really big ones is uh, the, the sequel to One Punch Man, One Punch Man 2. And I know that Hybrid has been talking about this one a lot. How do you feel about One Punch Man 2, Hybrid? Uh, yeah, I remember going into this, like most people, we all saw that trailer. We're like, oh my god, JC Staff's done it again. Picture showtime, here we go. <laughs> and... The first couple episodes, it was it wasn't great. You know, the, the writing was still good, the characters were still likable. But then, mm -hmm. as we've been going, I feel like the animations really picked up, and like some of the, honestly, some of the best CG I've seen in anime. That's you know not human faces. That that big centipede thing, it looks really good. But uh, overall, you know, it's it's almost feels as good as season one. I'm I'm surprised they really picked it up. Really? Yeah. So I haven't seen um, season two yet. I did see season one, which was fantastic. Uh, so that's actually surprising to me that the animation hasn't just completely gone down the tank because I know that everyone was really worried after that first trailer. Yeah, did you like? Did you really like One Punch Man season one? Like, was would you say that was like one of the the best animated shows in the last decade? I'd I'd say probably yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing some stuff on YouTube about how they hired a lot of freelancers, and they, it wasn't just Madhouse was a big part of it, but a lot of the freelancers they worked with, like really, it was like a passion project. So I was I was worried that they weren't going to really get that same uh, feel to it. But yeah, I feel yeah. like it's picking, it's not as good still, but I think it's really picking up. And so the story is still like the same as always, though, right? Because they're adapting the same story. Uh, well, like this would be one of those times where we were like, oh, spoiler alert! But I mean. It's got a battle arc, you know. They go to a coliseum and they like they go into fight, but it's you know it's Saitama. He's uh, mm -hmm. obviously going to do very well, and uh, just what they do is they just kind of blow through it. I think they're about done in like three episodes. So it's just like they're really they're going at a good clip, and they're just they're going through so many heroes. Honestly, I feel like they're going through every <laughs> S and A rank hero in the entirety of this universe because they're just uh -huh. flying through it. And I'm really impressed at how they're able to keep the pacing going. Because like usually when you have so many characters, it just gets convoluted and you can't follow it. But yeah, no, they've been doing a pretty good job. I have a friend who's watching the show and he said like the writing for the season is actually better than the first. Really? I think so I think because you don't I have would... to really introduce a lot of characters. You can just mm -hmm. kind of work off of them and have like good bits. I think that might be why, but I agree. Yeah. I, I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen it though, Requiem. You're watching it? Yeah, I'm current. So how do you feel then? Well, do you ever see uh, the movie Kill Bill? Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part in the second 
you know, there's two parts in the movie where mm-hmm. she asks him about his sword, and he goes, you know, you're gonna talk you know, about the sword. You have to compare it to any sword not made by Hattori Hanzo, and I think it's you. It's you. You can't compare this work to the first season because the first season was such a singular achievement. Mm-hmm. I th- the first season in One Punch Man is one of the best seasons of anime I've ever seen. Agreed. And I've been watching mm-hmm. anime since the dawn of time. <laughs> Man, that must be some so, real bad animation quality. Yeah, back in the day where you had to like push the rock. Yeah, every once in a while the studios would get raided by dinosaurs. Yeah. In it's a vacuum. Period. In a vacuum, season two is a very good show. It's mm-hmm. not as good as season one, but then it's almost impossible for it to have been. So yeah. I agree. That's what I'm saying. It's not as good as season one, but don't you think it's really kind of picked up at least visually after the first couple episodes? Yeah, yeah. It, it, the the animation has turned out to be serviceable, and and it, it doesn't distract you, which is all you really want. You don't want to be it's, distracted by bad anime animation. Not, yeah, it's not groundbreaking, but it's still like, um, like the Genos fight in the first episode. I'm like, I can't follow this. The metal textures are horrible. I don't know what's going on. And now in the last episode, they had the Saitama fight was just. It wasn't as good as season one, but it was still like, oh man, it's great. I'm enjoying watching this. Yeah, I feel like I the know writing's that. changed a little bit. Like, I feel like Saitama's character has changed slightly. Like, he's not as he doesn't seem as dumb in season two as he was in season one. Mm, I don't know about that. He seems pretty. <laughs> but sometimes he just says stuff that sounds a lot more intelligent than what you got from him in season one. But it's still a great show, and we got a whole episode for Metal Bat, which like oh is man, a that plus guy. right there. That's a great. I love that guy. Isn't there an episode of Bananas too? Bananas. I don't know. Bananas. No, there was an episode. There was an episode where he visited guys in the hospital and he kept giving everyone a banana for reasons. Yes. Which, like, <laughs> I, I saw a bunch of memes about it. That's all. That's all <laughs> I know. One punch man through the memes. It was legitimately funny. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I kind of agree with you guys though, as like a general topic. Like, I know that some people. Like I know there are people in the annotate chat who, if an anim, if the animation is great the entire season, and then for like a split second in a TV in like one of the episodes, the animation clips off for a little bit, they'll like single it out and be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that this frame was bad." But like for me, as long as the overall quality isn't just like completely bad, I'm just gonna like enjoy the show for what it is and not really notice it that much. Yeah. And I so if. Yeah, if One Punch Man 2 is at least at that quality, then that's good enough for me. Yeah, like Rex said, in a vacuum, it's a really good show, but it's not like top five all time anymore. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So actually then, let's jump to our next topic on the docket. So Luigi has been for the first time in ever, really, which is surprising. He has not seen Code Geass yet. One of the great Ooh. classics of our time slash oh, like last it. decade, I guess. Um, and so just for people who are concerned, if you have not seen Code Geass, we're not trying to shame you, shame. Um, <laughs> but we will be having some spoiler discussion here. And so if you're worried about spoilers, you can skip ahead a little bit. If you want to know exactly when we move to the next topic, once again, you can check our posting on annotate.org and check like the timestamps. But just to be aware of Code Geass discussion, since it is a very old, well, relatively old show, it is we are going to have spoilers. So Luigi, tell us, how have you been feeling about Code Geass? I, I'm really enjoying it. I should preface, the way I started watching it is my friend wanted to go see the new movie. And he's like, I don't want to go alone. Will you go with me? I was like, well, I haven't seen Code Geass, but yeah. So I went and saw the movie sequel 
before I started the show. Mm-hmm. And then once I got out, I was like, I, I better watch the show now. So I've been <laughs> now, and now that it's on Netflix and the dub is on Netflix, um, which is, the dub's really good, by the way, I've been going through it and I finished the first season in two weeks, probably, which was pretty quick considering classes and all that. Um, yeah. And it was really good. And I'm nearly done the second season, which is the finale besides the movie sequel. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I have five episodes left and it's been really good. I didn't, I didn't love most of the first season. Like I thought it was great, but like I found my caught myself like on my phone or kind of my mind was wandering. But then Mm -hmm. like those last six episodes hit um, and I guess we'll just get into spoilers when he accidentally um, commands Euphemia to kill all the Japanese. Oh yeah. Then I was like, I'm in, this is, this is really good. And then the second season's just been, I think it's been an improvement on the first one in every way. Okay. That's, that's interesting. I bet high, I seem I get the feeling that hybrid agrees with me, but I actually like the first season more than the second season. Ooh. Yeah, agreed. I think the first season is much stronger. As someone who loves Gurren Lagan, they went full Gurren Lagan, and I'm like, okay, you didn't really yeah. go that far. Yes, exactly. It, yeah, I it definitely. The, I think I'm at the point where it's starting to get there. Like, there's the. It starts at the beginning of the season. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like really into it now. When yeah, it just like he gets transported into the that other like cloud world with the mm-hmm. the emperor. Yeah. Um, but uh, th- what I find really remarkable about the show is there's like I I put this in the NHA chat, but it's like it's all killer, no filler. Like every episode like progresses the plot, or you learn something about a character. Um, even the episodes in Lelouch's school where I was like, oh, this is just a fun, lighthearted filler episode. There's always something in there that makes it like makes it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really enjoying yeah. that. I think what was it in the first season? I think it was. And I haven't seen the show in a while. So I'm trying to really plumb the depths of my memory here. There was like some school festival episode, I think. Yeah. And I remember, like, I was sitting there the entire episode going, like, this is filler. This is filler. <laughs> and then it actually did, like, important things actually happened at the end of that episode. So it's, it's I think the pacing, especially the first season, in my opinion, I think is paced very well. Um, I know that it takes a bit to maybe build up, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm the kind of guy who, like, Fate Zero, the first, like, five or six episodes are almost, like, all exposition. And the, I can acknowledge the pacing is not great, but I was still okay with it because I was like, I could just feel it building up to something good. And that was kind of my feeling with the Code Geass's first season as well. Uh, except unlike Fate Zero, there was also action as well as dialogue. I really loved, because uh, I mean, I don't watch a ton of mech anime, but I watched enough to know they're like, well, I want you to make these mechs believable in a way that I can understand the strategies you're using, why you're fighting this way. And like the first couple episodes are just like really good strategic mech battles that I could really get into. And then you get into the second season, it's just like, we're going to go fly around and everything looks, oh wait, uh, everything looks like it's going into outer space. And it's just, I don't know. Mm. So it's, it's too bad that they kind of dropped that strategy and uh, that level of realism. Yeah, I guess for me, the one of the reasons that 
I and I still like the second season. I was a big fan of Code Geass oh. for the first time I watched it for sure. Um but the um what really got me in the second season is that it was just, it almost got like too chaotic in those mm-hmm. um once they got to the big like world level battles sometimes too or just be like so many characters are doing so many things and this person who was supposed to be dead is not dead mm-hmm. and it was just really chaotic and in times that was like really exciting and other times i was just like i feel like the first season was a little bit more controlled mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of people kind of online and stuff who say like Kogias is like one of the best anime of all time. And I'm not like, I'm almost done. So I can kind of say this. I don't quite agree with that. Um, mm. It's really good. But like, like I have kind of a running top 25 list. I don't think it'll make that, but it'll probably be a show I rewatch someday. And that's usually a sign that it's pretty damn good. <laughs> I think it's a good combination of mm-hmm. high production values, a uh, unique take on, um, again, mech battles and this like weird power that a bunch of people seem to have. Um, and it just, it's very, very rewatchable. Like you can watch like one random episode. And then of course it has very high highs and very, so I can see how it hits a lot of people in a way that they think it's one of their favorites. Yeah. I, I think one of the big things with favorite anime sometimes too is that to a certain degree, um, I mean, shows that you watch earlier in your anime li- you know, viewing life have a higher likelihood of really being that top 10 show for you. And it gets more difficult to get up there if you've seen a lot more shows. And I think that Code Geass, uh, especially people who started watching anime in the early um, 10s slash uh, uh, end of the OOs when it actually aired, you know, like when it's one of your first big entries into anime, and I think it was for a lot of people, that's going to be one of the things that fuels, you know, it being like the absolute top anime for totally. them. This was on Adult Swim, right? I think it was. I think yeah, it was. Those always end up being like top. They pick up good yeah. stuff. Yeah, they usually got but good yeah, um, behind them too in terms of like the like for Western audiences, like the dub and marketing. Like they don't just throw them out there. Yeah, that's true. And I know Adult Swim, um, around the time that Code Geass, I don't know when it would have gone on Adult Swim, but um, like the exact time, but that was definitely, you know, you didn't have um, all the streaming services that we have now. So Adult Swim was even more important back then. Mm-hmm. So jumping then to our next topic, which is a little bit of a mishmash, um, but maybe so from the spring 2019 season, there are the greats and there are the not so greats. <laughs> and I know that hybrid is, and I, I, I didn't even bother starting this one. I don't know why you did, <laughs> well, uh, but Robbie Hachi, you, you dropped it. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Tell well, me I can why. tell you briefly. It's like a show, not even really worth talking about, but uh it was at first it kind of felt like um futurama meets gintama for those of you who've seen both um it's i like worlds that are just like really futuristic and out there and really unique and this one seemed like one of those um and the the director was a co-director on gintama so you know that that feeling was obvious i've i Mm -hmm. i felt like once the characters came into their own, they're going to start going on adventures and they would go to different planets and they would discover all these weird creatures and it would be really funny. And they went to different planets and they discovered different creatures, but it was pretty much never funny. Um, there were like the whole premise behind it. There were every now and then I'd laugh a little bit, but it's just, I don't know. It was dumb. And some of the jokes 
a couple of them were a little offensive. I'm like, ah, oh, this is 2019. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I got like yeah. seven episodes in. And I'm just like, this doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. So, uh, I, so I, I guess one of the questions I have for you about that um, and something we talk about a lot on the chat is, you know, the line like humor is very subjective. Mm. And so there are sometimes people like, for example, um, Bill, when everyone was watching Kaguya and raving about it, he was like, I don't like Kaguya, but I can see why other people find it interesting, but the humor does not work right. for me. So do you say that like Robbie Hachi, would you say that maybe there is a decent sized audience that would find it funny? Or do you just think that it's just like bad? Oh man, it's tough. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm usually one of the that like doesn't laugh at most jokes. But uh, something like mm-hmm. really hits like Gintama. Whenever I tell people, "Yo, you should watch Gintama," but the first hundred episodes kind of rough. So maybe, maybe if Robbie Hodge gets more than hundred episodes, it would be better. But it won't. Um, it's possible. <laughs> That's a big commitment. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's possible that yeah. people will find it funny. But I feel like, like I understand the jokes. It's one thing if I don't understand the joke, but I, like I understand what they're going for. At one point, they were just like yelling ass at each other, like just they were talking about butts a lot. And I'm like, okay, I can see how this could be funny, but you're not doing it right. So, what I remember, all I remember about Robia Hachi was that when we did the preview episode at the beginning of the season, the synopsis was like three paragraphs long and sounded ridiculous. <laughs> yes, yeah, just, that's what I was yeah, going to yeah. say. Just like describe the first episode. That's why it was so enticing because it was so ridiculous, but it, it didn't really capitalize. See, for me, um, I think ha- having seen a lot of anime, I think there are two kinds of ridiculous descriptions. There are the ridiculous descriptions where you're like, oh, this is actually, this could potentially be like a high profile show that might do something interesting, like, like Sarazan Mayer Kill a Kill or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are ridiculous descriptions where it's like, Okay, this is crap. Boy meets girl while riding bike. She has a piece of toast in mouth and she has powers. Yeah, that's usually what I avoid. So, on, but I mean, on the subject of disappointing shows, I know. Uh, wait, Luigi, did you drop Fairy Gone? Yeah, I watched. I don't even. I don't even remember. I think I watched two episodes, three episodes, and it just it didn't do anything for me. I found it really dull and like the color palette, like of the show, was just brown and i didn't like the cg i just didn't like anything about it really oh <laughs> devastating absolutely devastating <laughs> i actually felt like the action sequences were some of the best directed full-scale like really big scale action sequences i've seen in a long time but huh. uh i couldn't really get super invested in the characters with a couple episodes it took me a while to really like them yeah i'm still but you're up to date on it mm-hmm. though hybrid yeah i'm, I'm still watching too i well, i'm gonna say i'm current too but i'm I'm just barely hanging in there because mm-hmm. I, 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 it's so hard to care about anything that happens because they want to be like, they're trying to be like full metal alchemist and like, Oh, ooh, all these backstage, you know, background politics and all the shifting mm-hmm. moving pieces on the chessboard. But the fact that they forget to make you give a shit about any of it. It's true. <laughs> it feels a little too like, like high concept. Like there's too many things they're trying to explain. Like, like the fairies and the world and the characters and these organizations, like none of it's given enough time to like breathe and mean anything. They just like throw it at you and they're like, look, here's this thing. Care about it. There's, yeah. there's too many characters. And there's too many names to keep track. And some of the characters are named bittersweet and I can't get over that. 
They introduced <laughs> Bittersweet and she's had more character development than anyone else. It's just like they have the four characters in the intro. They should have focused on them. Don't worry about explaining everything in detail and you learn as you go. But the last like three episodes have been super political and I'm, I'm still enjoying it enough. I'm going to keep watching it. But yeah, it's definitely not one of my faves. And this is disappointing. So I want to say Sorry. on the uh, subject of the bittersweet name is that that was what drove me nuts. I actually like the show, but the Hitoribochi show is that all the names in Japanese, like Hitoribochi just means like alone. Like that's like her name is just alone. It's just stupid. It's not even funny. I, the rest of the rest of the show is great, but it's just not even funny. Like, I don't know why we have to name characters bittersweet. Like, why do you even do that? Because it sounds cool in English to Japanese viewers. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, I I agree with you guys, though, that the show is um, not as great, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's extra disappointing because it's a PA work show, and they have a pretty um, shoddy track record, but their highs are really high. So I was really looking forward to this just based on that pedigree, and they uh, uh, shit the bed. If there's one thing PA Works does better than most studios, it's character development, like getting you to really like their characters. And yeah, yeah they didn't really uh, do it with this one. No, that's what's interesting. Um, what was it called? Like in 2014, Glass Slip, I believe. Oh, somewhere. God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember in Annete, I mean, like people were mad. It was just like, I, I wasn't even watching it, but I just remember hearing like everyone is like, this is just stupid. Like the plot developments were just nonsense. And it seems like this one, it's almost like the plot developments could be interesting if we liked the characters, which we don't because they haven't given us a reason to. So it's interesting that the writing can, you know, like PA works is definitely hit or miss, but the writing isn't even consistently bad slash good for the same reasons. You know? Yeah. I'd be interested in checking out uh, which directors are working on what I think they may give them a lot of leeway. And that might be what's really um, bringing their best shows to light is the directors. Yeah. So uh, Yeah. Well, I would just say on the topic of dropping shows, like I'm, I'm a guy who almost never drops a show, especially if I've gone past three episodes. I'm just going to finish it. Mm-hmm. But this season, there's a show called uh, Nobunaga Sensei's like, oh, Young Bride. Yeah. And I'm so close <laughs> to dropping it. I have an incredibly high tolerance for shows with fan service and, and you know etchy humor. And this show is so objectionable. I am at a half inch of dropping it. And it's only eight minutes long. Okay, I just, for people who have never listened to this podcast before, Requiem is, like, known for watching etchy garbage. So when Requiem says something is too etchy, that actually frightens me. Like, I'm actually, like, scared right now that that's possible. Like, it's like... That's airing, and it's not literally hentai. It's, like, uncomfortable etchy, because there's, like, lollies, and he's a teacher, and Uh... it's just every bad... Every bad thing from a hentai without the hentai. It's like oh, it's like no. there are shows where like a character who's too young is 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 hitting inappropriately on a male main character, but the male main character in most of those shows does not in his head to the audience think, "Gee, I wish I could nail her if the law wasn't stopping me." <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Is she at least really oh, two hundred no. years old? It's just technically yeah, <laughs> she is technically two hundred years old. Oh she. Oh, oh my god. god! I was joking. Oh no, the the hybrid was—I could tell that, that was a joke. I didn't no, think that was literally the main plot of the show is that he's a descendant of uh, Odo Nobunaga, and every time he touches something or someone <sighs> that was re- that is related to him in some way, he summons a lowly from the past. 
No. What's this uh, streaming on? Just out of curiosity. Crunchyroll. It's on cr- Crunchyroll, and it's. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, that's. that's I mean, it's dumb. not streaming anywhere. Go watch it. <laughs> I hope that, I hope to God in Japan it airs like at four AM or something. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if like a little kid in Japan is just scrolling through the TV and like, oh look like this like cute little girl. I am a cute little girl and they just start watching. Like, can you imagine how horrifying that is? I'd be is? horrified if a girl said to me, I'm a cute little girl. Whoa. It's- <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, all right, all right. That's obviously not literally saying it. Right? It's, it's only tolerable because it's eight minutes an episode. And even then barely. Why? Why haven't you guys dropped it? Because it's eight minutes an episode. I just, not much time out of my day. <laughs> yeah, you only lose about six like, and a half minutes, and and I just know was never drop stuff. But and I, let's face okay. it, like I'm probably gonna have to write about it for you know the slains. All right, but mm. how about this though? Let's say okay, Luigi. Let's say that hybrid came over to your house once a week and Damn. just sneezed on you three times. Oh. Okay, it doesn't take it doesn't take very many minutes out of your day. But do you really want him coming back next week? I can probably make time. Like, do you really? I I don't I don't want that. <laughs> so I I mean I I don't know. I just think like if it's a horrible show, even if it's not taking up that much time, if it's like a net negative, maybe like those six minutes could go towards Facebook. Wow, Sensei. That's Twitter. a terrible example. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe those six minutes could go to self-reflection about why you wasted your time on that show in the first or place. Or watching a half an episode of One Punch Man. Oh. Yeah. It's it's almost like... Now that is something. That's idea. great. It's almost at this point like I'm waiting to see if the show ever displays a single redeeming value. <laughs> and it's not there so far. <laughs> so far, no. Oh, my God. So on that note, let's move to our news section, which is hopefully a little bit more, um, I don't know, less objectionable in that regard, I guess. And we've got our boy uh, news reporter Luigi-chan right here. He's going to introduce us to some articles. So Luigi, take it away. That's right. I'm, I'm on the streets here. I'm, I'm on the case. And our first news topic today is that Attack on Titan C... Attack on Titan Season 3 Part 2, the sub is being delayed until Wednesdays worldwide. And it's apparently because um, like the sub-licensees have been leaking the show leading up to their debut on Sundays. So um, like on Funimation, Hulu, Crunchyroll, other streaming services worldwide, they're on a delay. Um, and this isn't affecting the simuldub because... The simuldubs are almost always on delays. Um, but this was kind of big news because now, um, unless you sail the seven seas, you have to wait some extra days for the show instead of watching it the same day as Japan. So in other words, instead of airing on Sunday, it's now going to be airing several days later on Sunday, right? Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> so how many of us are, how many of us are watching it? <laughs> Uh, I will be Not now me. that now that the dub is out. Yeah, I just haven't watched it yet, but I will be. You haven't started w- the first season, or? Oh no, I'm caught up. Uh, I've, 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 I've seen I've the first. Watched the first half of season three. Okay. Yeah, I just haven't, um, and and I actually didn't mind the first. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't incredible, um, but I just haven't. I don't know. For some reason, I haven't gotten around to watching two and three yet. Yeah, I mean, rather than just talking about Tag and Titan and focusing on the story, I will say that uh, 
it seems odd that they're singling this out, maybe just because it's a, a really big show across the world. But I mean, they, they know that everything mm-hmm. leaks, right? Like, how is this a special case is what I'm curious about. <laughs> I think it might be, yeah, because it's such a big show and mm-hmm. like it's a money maker. And for these streaming services, it's a view maker. Like it brings in views. So I have a mm-hmm. feeling they're making an example out of it. Like, don't yeah, that makes sense. pirate, don't leak, or else this is going to happen. Or else we're going to punish the people that do it legally. Gotcha. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which has its ups and downs, debatably, but it's kind of crappy either way. And this is Wit Studio making this decision, or mm-hmm. is it the licensee or publisher? Um, I'm not sure. Just the licensor. Mm-hmm. And Funimation was the one who made the announcement. Yeah, that's... Because I know Anaplex gets really uh, protective of their licenses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I guess my question is, and I I don't really sail the seven seas, so is this effective? Like, are they... Is this causing them to not be able to pirate the episode until Wednesday? I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. No, someone will fan stop it by Monday. my, My thing is that... Right. Is that it? It seems to me that all it's doing is punishing people who are trying to watch it legally, and then if anything, it's boosting mm-hmm. the illegal market for it because now you're giving you know the pirates um, an extra reason for why their product is quote unquote superior at least in the time sense. Um, and then the other issue, right, is that like we don't know where these leaks are coming from, and it's probably not Funimation no. and Hulu that are leaking it, right? Like it's it's coming from somewhere else. Um, and so you're punishing them even though they haven't done anything and it's not effective and all, if anything, it's hurting you. And so I guess this is definitely one of those examples where, I mean, I'm obviously looking at these things from an American's perspective, but I'm going like, what is this company thinking? It's just another you clueless know? exec that doesn't really know when he's just doing it out of spite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Right. Um, and I should mention um, that article came from Anime News Network, which is probably where we'll be getting most of our articles for this section. Um, and the announcement came from Funimation's Twitter and website. Um, just so we all know where it came from. Um, nice. So our second article today is from Kotaku, actually. Um, and the headline is simple. It is, Tourists are causing headaches in Japan. And the gist of the the gist of the problem of the concern is that there's a lot of people visiting Japan and it's causing various problems. Um, so Kotaku provided some stats. Um, in 2018, 31 million foreign tourists visited Japan, which was an eight percent increase from 2017, which was also a record-setting year. So there's a steady increase. Um, over 50% of those tourists were from China, mainland China, and South Korea. And um, foreign tourists spent a record $40.1 billion, that's American dollars, in Japan, which is four times the amount spent in 2012. Um, and so yeah. there's problems like um, some like cultural artifacts or places are getting defaced or just trampled because of too many people. Um, kind of local smaller places are getting flooded with tourists. Um, 
And basically the problem that, or the concern, the conflict that people are worried about is it brings in a lot of money for Japan, but at what cost? It, it's, mm-hmm. it's at the cost of culture. It's a money versus culture thing, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And it's only going to become more of a problem or more of an issue or more of a thing as the years go on. And because our world's getting more global every day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was curious what you guys thought of this. Um, Proton, you've been to Japan many times and are going there again. Yeah, that's true. I'm moving there in a couple of months. Um, I guess... So my my first thought about this is so n- none of you no, guys have been no. to Japan, right? No. Okay. So if if you'd ever been to um Kyoto, it's got like all of like a ton of like shrines, right? Um and Kyoto has an ins- I mean to, uh, Tokyo has this too, but it's a really international city, so it's hard to like know who is, you know, a resident and who is a tourist sometimes. Um, but Kyoto is like, it is an insane number of tourists. Like we're talking like when you go to some of these shrines, like, um, the Inari shrine, which if you've ever seen photos of like, uh, like thousands of red gates in Japan, it's the, it's that, it's from that shrine. Like you can't go there ever and not see just like tons and tons of tourists. And so, I mean, it's, it's just almost inevitable, right. That you're going to see spaces like that defaced, um, one thing that's interesting to me is on the subject of um, that Inari Shrine is that sometimes those spaces that are really popular with tourists are not near as popular with um, domestic tourists, like Japanese people traveling around. So the Inari Shrine is actually like one of the top five tourist lo- international tourist locations in Japan, but it's not even close to that for um, mm-hmm. domestic tourists. I don't know. It's just like it's, I kind of feel like welcome to the party, Japan. This happens everywhere. <laughs> it's only been in the last 10, 15 years that travel to Japan was possible for more and more people because of how expensive it is to get there and stay there. But this happens everywhere. You go to Europe, mm-hmm. uh, every every country that has any kind of tourism, you go to the tourist stuff, there's a thousand freaking people there. And it is just how it is if you're going to bring in any tourist dollars. And I'm like, I, I know it can, it can kind of suck when there's tourists everywhere and you're just trying to go about your life and they're, you're screwing up like cultural, you know, you know, spots that have meaning. But it's also like $40 billion to fix your roads, and run your education programs that you wouldn't have otherwise. Like you, this is one of those things where you're either like either kick everybody out or suck it up and deal with it. Like I hate to say it like that. Now it's a little bit different mm-hmm. with shrines and like legitimate religious spaces, I think those places should be treated with respect. And if a tourist can't do that, maybe it's time to say, you know, tourists not welcome here. If you want to do that in a religious space, I would feel fine with it. But otherwise it's just like, this is just an inevitable thing of people being able to travel more than they used to be. And it's, it's just not, there's not much you can do about it other than go, you're not allowed here, which I mean, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. They'd have to treat a lot of their, uh, their cultural sites with, uh, Almost like a well, this is for tourists now, so we're gonna have to like close it off so no one gets in. We have people to get in, so we don't have people just doing whatever they want. I don't know if they're doing graffiti or just like leaving garbage, but uh, you just you just have all this amazing culture just lying just in random shrines. They, if you might have to just like start fencing it off. I don't know, man. Right, mm. and I'm not trying to downplay um, the damage that's being done, right? But I, I think that one thing that's important to consider too is that sometimes like these articles, they pop up 
all the time um, in Japan as well. And because there's always there's this kind of narrative that Japan is not as safe as it used to be. And the reason is because you have an influx of foreigners. Um, and that is basically just um, what you can xenophobic nonsense, because the crime rate overall in Japan has actually been decreasing for the past three decades. Um, and so what you get is you kind of get with an influx of foreigners like this, even people who aren't living there permanently, is you get kind of like this fear, right? Because they, the foreigners are coming in and defacing things. But I think for the most part, we're talking about like someone, let's say that one of the things is someone carves there, going back to this Enadi shrine, someone takes one of those red Tory gates and they carve their initials into one of them, which is just totally inappropriate. It's a religious site. You shouldn't do that. But the vast majority of those gates are replaced every 20 to 30 years. So like, it's not like they're defacing something that is thousands of years old. That's really, really, you know, it's, it's, it's rude and it's harmful, but it's also a little bit exaggerated as to the, the level of damage that's being done to those things sometimes. And I do think that some of that is just straight up xenophobia. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I've, in the article that they posted and in some other articles when I did some more research, like in the Japan Times and other places, a lot of the comments from the local Japanese people they were talking to, there was like a real undercurrent of xenophobism, xenophobia, okay. and like a real like repel the barbarians. Yeah, you know, the black ships are in the harbor kind of feel to it, where I was just like, like, and especially, mm -hmm. and, and because like a lot of the tourist groups they're specifically talking about are giant Chinese tour groups, there's a real, I got a real feeling of anti-Chinese, mm -hmm. like almost prejudice mm -hmm. oh, in what yeah. they were talking about. And yeah, if you're going to talk about that, that's, let's just talk yeah. about that. Let's not yeah. be like, oh, tourists. I'm like, no, you're talking about Chinese people. Yeah. And I, I, I do want to say, though, that I'm not saying that necessarily all of it is unwarranted like i did see an article the other day about some australian tourists who had been like graffitiing bridges in kyoto and i mean graffitiing is almost it's it's extremely uncommon in japan it's almost like if you're in a major city it's almost unheard of you're not going to see a bunch of graffiti all over kyoto normally and that is something right that you've got some idiot australian foreign guy coming in and messing things up and that's that is like a serious thing if you've got people coming in from another country and graffitiing when there wouldn't be any graffiti. But I do think that some of this, especially in articles like this, some of these reports are just. I think it is a lot of xenophobia. Right. But don't get me wrong. I don't. I like tourists suck. Don't get me wrong. The more people you've got in a group anywhere, yeah. the more likely it is that somebody's an asshole. And tourists can suck. Like I just went mm -hmm. to see a play this weekend, and I was in downtown Hollywood near the Walk of Fame, and it's fucking exhausting with the people there. That's just how it is. Like, it's a net gain overall. Right. And if it wasn't, then the government would ban that. Right. Like, if it's, like, so culturally sensitive, like, if somebody's tagging on, like, the Hiroshima War Memorial or something, then maybe we need to start doing something, like, with more government intervention. But otherwise, you're just going to have – they're going to have to adapt is what it, what it is. They're in the growing pain stage yeah. of having to adapt to this surge of people going there. Right, and that's something this article, this Kotaku article says, it's just, with time, the country should become better equipped to handle it, which is something pretty much every major country in the world is dealing with right now, between, um, like, refugees and just um, people coming, like, tourists or immigrants or anything like that. Everyone, ev The world's becoming more cultural and more global and connected and like things can't stay the same they've never been able to stay the same um so like people in the government or whoever decides these things has to realize that 
they need to adapt and they need to change some things and the change might be hard. It might be scary, but it, it needs to happen. Yeah. One thing that didn't really touch much in the article, but I think is that another angle to this is if you're going to travel to Japan, it might be time to start rethinking where you're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely, um, a joke that some of my friends and I have is what we sometimes call like the white man's tour of Japan, which is where you go to like, like Inari shrine, which no Japanese tourists are really, I mean, some are, but very few are going to, they're going to other places and you've got like a very guided tour. And I mean, you almost have to do something like that, right? When you're not familiar with the country, don't know the language, etc. But if you go off the beaten path a little bit, you, I think you honestly would probably have a much better experience. My friends have gone to Japan that. always look for like the hole in the wall restaurants and just the places that you wouldn't really see. Like you, you schedule a couple yeah. of the bigger shrines just to like really get a feel for it. But then just kind of always go off the beaten path if you really want to get the, the experience. Right. Yeah. Whenever I have, um, whenever I'm living um, in Japan and someone comes to visit me. I we try. I mean, we you hit a couple of big ones because you almost have to. But then outside of that, the the really cool stuff is when you're going to some place that mm-hmm. isn't swarming with tourists. You know. All right. Um, I think we've exhausted that topic. Um, so going for our third topic of the day. Um, this is back to Anime News Network, but it's all over the internet. Um. Makoto Shinkai's new movie, which is the director of Your Name, um, his new movie Weathering with You released the second teaser video, but this this feels like the first big trailer for it um, came out, and mm-hmm. there's some info on the voice cast. Um, it's opening on Japan in July 19th, and it's been licensed for North America through G Kids, and they've been doing a lot of work with getting um, lots of Blu-rays to North America. And they are quoted as saying they're going to give it an award-qualifying theatrical run this year. So it might actually come to my state. Cool. Yeah, and then, so they're going to do that in late 2019, and then a wider screening in early 2020. So they want to hit the award circuit to hopefully make it to the Oscars and the Golden Globes, and then they'll get it out to everyone else. Unfortunately, Um, Pixar had a movie, so. So they're really pushing it. G-Kids does good work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, G Kids does do good work. Um, what do they do exactly? Well, um, they they license yeah. and, and distribute and you know movies. They, like they took over the Ghibli license from Disney, and oh, they do a they, right. they do a really good job with it. They understand mm-hmm. their product, and they understand their audience, and they do a really good job. Yeah, like they've been getting out a lot of the kind of lesser known Ghibli movies, like the stuff that isn't by um, Miyazaki, like some of the lesser known Takahata films and a couple of films that Miyazaki's son have made, has made and stuff like that. So they're really just trying to, um, like I have quite a few of their Blu-rays and they're always high quality and they give everything a dub and they just, yeah, they do really good work. So this is probably going to, int- if the movie's good, I could see it being almost as big as your name. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that they're pushing, um, they're trying to get it out so quickly. I mean, I think it's a good idea. Um, and because I, I know that it, sometimes it's like, I, I don't remember the exact time that it took for something like a silent voice, but it, it feels like, you know, it's long since over in Japan by the time it's even getting close to approaching U.S. theaters most of the time. So getting a move on with this one within a few months, uh, I think that's a good direction uh, as a whole 
for the industry to go in. And then it seems like Makoto Shinkai's popularity is really helping in that. You know, you start with the big ones, then hopefully we see this become a trend moving forward. Yeah. Um, also, a fun thing to note, the band Radwimps is doing the soundtrack again, just like they did for Your Name. Um, so it's going to have great music. And the trailer Ooh. did have really great music. Um, it did. Along with the visuals, of course. Yeah. So yeah, the backgrounds were incredible. I mean, the animation obviously expected to be good, but like, just I don't know the way they got it all to work together is just really impressive. And I know Proton, you can probably tell us what is actually going on because I had no idea other than them saying "rain" over and over again was happening. Oh yeah, so I mean, they're keeping it, you know, pretty vague. Um, but my there there are certain parts like at one point they're just like, um, you know, like we you know, we, we, I met, like, I met this girl and then something happened. And then like the, you know, we accident, we like changed the world or something like that. So they're going, it's, it's dramatic. Like, I don't know what, they don't make it clear what exactly it is, but whatever it is has like worldwide consequences. Um, and then I know in the middle of the trailer, they have some scene where it looks like there's some, someone, maybe someone dies. I don't, I don't know. Um, and so that's going to be spicy. I mean, Makoto Shinkai always has, you know, there's some some sort of there's a there's a romance, and the romance either doesn't work Damn. or something serious happens in a way that makes it seems like it's not going to work, and then at the very end we get like you know something yeah. happens and it works out in the end. But it's never easy, you know, and it's not just from like oh one character has a misunderstanding with another, like you see in like a rom com. No, we're talking like someone dies and so they can't meet each other or like their time streams are disconnected, like something crazy, you know, like something that's really serious to overcome. Um, and that's also, I think, probably one of the big appeals of his movies um, is that kind of like really serious drama. Um, I know I like it for that. Um, I do actually have the plot summary pulled up here if you guys want to hear it. Um, yeah. So yeah, the yeah, summer yeah. of his high school freshman year, Hokoda runs away from his remote island home to Tokyo and quickly finds himself pushed to his financial and personal limits. The weather is unusually gloomy and rainy every day, as if to suggest his future. He lives his days in isolation, but finally finds work as a writer for a mysterious occult magazine. Then one day, Hokoda meets Hina on a busy street corner. This bright and strong world girl possesses a strange and wonderful ability, the power to stop the rain and clear the sky, dot, dot, dot. So still pretty vague, but seems, pretty... Like, seems like it's yeah, that makes sense. a natural extension was... of the kind of things Shinkai's written about in the past. Yeah, it seemed pretty boilerplate at first until you yeah. got to like the whole writing for an occult thing. So I'm guessing it's that guy <laughs> that... Uh, that older dude, he's probably like in charge of it. And he's like, well, this guy's real eccentric. And then he just happens to meet that girl. And then we, uh, get will they, won't they sort of thing. And then some kind of, uh, I don't know, like the IRS comes and shoots somebody. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the IRS. It's the, it seems like, um, I mean, the, there's always that, you know, that slight, like, fantasy element that she's, you know, can control the weather, which they actually, like, re- they briefly alluded to one. I think at one point in the video, she's just like, I'm going to make it clear or whatever, and then it stops raining. I, I, I only saw it really quickly, so I'd have to go back and check again. But, um, I mean, the I think one thing that seems pretty consistent, too, that I'm not surprised to see a repeat of is countryside mm-hmm. versus big city, particularly Tokyo. Uh, you see that dynamic in a lot of his movies, and it looks like that's going to be 
a big one here too since he's coming back yeah from his the countryside. Too big, shinkai's two big kind of themes tend to be that countryside versus city thing and like like connection and how we connect with other people um so i'm curious to see how he'll yeah. explore that with the rain and all this kind of weird stuff I think he'll subvert expectations based on his previous work since it's a similar uh, concept. I think he kind of has to. Um, he did he it. The same thing. He did it a little bit with your name, um, without spoiling things. He did it a little bit at the end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it would be good for Shinkai to like fully subvert what people expect, but. Mm. Um, can you imagine the pressure though? You know, like, I mean, he was, he's, he's always been like a major director, but now, right. Because of your name, people are, some people are going like, this guy could right. be the next Miyazaki. And the way that he proves that is by having a second movie that's an international hit. And so like, I, I just can't, I just can't even imagine the kind of pressure for that. I, I hope he pulls it off because I mean, first it'd be great for him. Second off, it means it's a good movie for me to watch. Uh, which I'm always down for. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to see. I guess it's coming out in Japan in July. Hopefully we see it over here um, later this year. I will definitely be watching it when I get over there, as soon as I probably have to drive a couple of hours to a movie theater. But I'll do it. Yeah, I'll if it comes it. Uh, to my area, I will totally do it. And it's definitely good to hear that they're trying to expand. Uh, I forget the company you said. They're trying to expand and get to more people. Right. Because, yeah, this isn't just... Yeah the next Shinkai movie, this is the movie after your name. Mm. Um, like, it's the same yeah. kind of thing as Miyazaki after, like, Spirited Away or something like that. Um, so there's a lot of expectations. Right. And right. I, like you said, I hope he does it. I gotta say, <laughs> yeah, the big question for me is, will Requiem ever watch uh, it? Well, the, the, the answer to that question is no. <laughs> He's got to finish No One Sensei eight more times. Yes, yeah, see, the problem is this movie might be good, and you can't, can't risk that. that you Just know watch it in eight minute chunks. No. You guys enjoy your your beautifully animated, boring ass shit, and uh, I don't judge. Like, everybody's got anime is a many splendored thing. There are many, 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 many avenues for it to go, and a lot of different flavors. And uh, it, this one is not mine. I don't. It's not. It's not bad. I'm not saying. Oh my God, Shinkai films are terrible because they're obviously not. They're beautifully animated, well put together, and he has a very specific vision, which I respect. But it's not my thing. It's mm-hmm. just. It's the same as. Uh, uh, oh crap! I forgot his name. The guy who does Sarah's on mine did the lesbian bears. No, Ikuhara. Yeah, yeah. He, the guy has a very yeah, specific Ikuhara. vision and a very specific thing he's trying to do, and I respect it because he sticks to it. And then, you know, he's, he's doing his own thing. He's not just producing the same thing all the time to get the most money. He's trying to make a point, and I respect it. I just don't like it. It's not my thing. Same thing with Shinkai. I, it, it, I don't care. But I, I like everybody else likes I think we should revise the podcast, just have a section where you do us just like, what do you hate today, and what will you never, ever watch? But he doesn't hate these shows. I, I, don't, the hate. I don't hate very, very many things. Like, I think for me, like there are stuff I don't like, or it's not for me. That's not the same thing as hating it. Like for me to hate something usually has to be boring. All right, you don't hate it, but you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hater. I have a big giant cup of haterade right yeah. here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> haterade. 
so then let's actually end our news segment here and get to our final bit of the podcast. And so we're actually, I have a general question that I'm going to ask. Um, I'm give, I'll give my own answer really quick. So I've got a good one. Um, and then ask like everyone here too. And then for those of you who are listening, um, feel free either in the comments on the article, if you're on the, in the annotate chat, you can message in there, um, whatever format you listen, you could even, I don't know, maybe we'll put up an email address for unofficial podcast email address at some point for people to email to, um, we'll be discussing your answers on the next podcast. Um, but for now, the question that I have for our first question section here is what sort of funny we've all been to anime conventions what sort of funny anime convention experiences or interesting or bizarre stories that you might have from conventions and so um to start it off here the when hybrid suggested this question he was right or was that luigi that was luigi my bad okay luigi suggested this um when he suggested this i was like this is the first story that came to my mind so i've been to uh a couple of times. So for those of you who don't know, Kamaket's the really big like manga market in Tokyo that they have twice a year, like 500,000 plus people attend. Uh, sometimes it shows up in like anime because um, the characters will go to Kamaket if they're like otaku characters or something. So you might've heard of it. If not, that's what it is. Um, so when I went to Kamaket, the very first time I went, so uh, most anime conventions, the focus is anime, but Kamaket is obviously manga. Um, and co- you know, comics, comic market. Um, yeah, mm. exactly. And that's that's what I'm getting at is um, because so I went with a friend. And so for people who have not been to Comiket, you're, pr- you're probably not aware of this, but Comiket, it's a huge convention, but um, the, I, I don't want to say the majority of Dojin because it's, I don't know the exact count, but I will say that a very, very large percentage of Dojin Most is like 90%. porn. Yeah, probably it probably is the majority. I'm just not sure, so I don't I don't want to like claim that, you know. But if you've ever gone, if you were to ever go to Kamaket, you'd see a, there are multiple huge halls, like super far and wide. And some and what always happens is every day, at least one of those halls, and we're talking there's probably almost like a hundred thousand people in this thing at once, maybe fifty thousand people at least, and it's just it's just all pornographic, like the whole thing. And so I did not know this the first time I went to Kamaket. Um, and neither did my friend. And this is what's important because my friend is, was a, uh, and this guy that I was traveling with was a hardcore oh Catholic. And so this guy, and he was excited. He's a big, big, like otaku anime manga nerd. And so he was excited to go. And so we go, and at first it's really cool, you know, lots of people cosplaying, he's taking photos of the different cosplayers, and then we get to the manga halls, um, and he just, he's just like, oh my god, it's all porn, and I was like, yes it is, because I had been there the day previously by myself, so I was like kind of mentally prepared for it by that point, and so this guy... Uh, for me, it was surprising, but it's like, I'm not like morally outraged by, you know, it's like, okay, this is interesting. But this guy, I kid you not, he walked around the entire hall covering his eyes with a binder because he was like, he just like didn't want to see um, any of like the, because like they'd have like little like images above their stalls advertising their products. And this, the images would be like literally like a porn. I thought this was going to like Requiem you know, so, for a Dream where he just has a taste and he just needs more and he just keeps laughing. 
bags and bags of it. But Did you convince him to buy it. <laughs> so that's my that's my one of my funny convention stories. Uh, do you guys have any like crazy convention stories? Hmm. Well, I said hmm, I I'll how- go. Oh. You go. Ahead. You go. You go. You go. <laughs> I went to Otaka <laughs> once. Like I don't go to uh, too many conventions, but I went to Otaka once, and I don't know, man. I, I dressed up as I cosplayed as Zoro from One Piece. It's the only time I ever did it. Um, and I I had these like wooden swords that I had painted and everything, and I just thought it'd be really funny that every time they call people call my name, I would just pull one in my mouth and pose for it, and just by the end of the day, I just had paint in my mouth. It's just I it was like a 10 pound sword in my mouth it's like what am i thinking but uh not not too interesting i think the only other interesting that happened was someone stole my pillow because we had like a communal like 30 person hotel thing and i was like oh i i guess oh, i'll yeah. just take someone else's pillow then and that was about it not not nearly as interesting as having a christian friend learning of porn did you dye your hair green for being zora <laughs> i am bald so i had a wig Oh, even better. It was a styled wig from someone who said they were going to cosplay as Luffy with me. And then when I got there, she's like, oh, no, I can't. Yep. Wow. Ducked wow, you. that's that's friend cool. That's the key. That's yeah, the big story. Is that your friend? Let's roast your friend. Was <laughs> cosplay betrayal. Uh, that's not cool. Jeez. Uh-huh. But it's okay. I, I, yeah. Uh, no. Oh, good. No. You don't I don't know how funny it is, but. It is good, um, actually. You're right. I did have I did have a fairly disastrous experience. The last time uh, conventions aren't my thing in the first place because I don't like crowds. Mm-hmm. But the last time I got talked mm-hmm. into going to AX was when there was a big anti-tank meetup there. Um, although really everyone yeah, yeah, was just yeah. using me as a chauffeur from the airport. Um, <laughs> and I I got tickets to one I got a badge for one day. So I show up. First of all, the traffic's ridiculous to get to LA from where I live. Then. I get there and realize mm-hmm. I don't have my tickets. My wife has them, so she has to drive from work and give me my tickets while I'm standing there outside the convention center. I'm like an idiot. <laughs> then I'm in line to get my badge, and that line took two hours in the sun. Oh, God. oh yeah. I remember where this is going. So by the time I, I got in, I am heat exhausted, and my blood sugar had crashed. And I basically, I found the guys from Adite in the hallway and passed out. So my last time I went to AX, I forgot my tickets, got stuck in traffic for several hours, and passed out from heat exhaustion. And I remember after the panel we were at, I, I kind of just kind of, I was very loopy. I distinctly remember going into a room, one of the viewing rooms where they're showing um, the regular at Magic High School, and finding it extremely funny in that frame mm-hmm. of mind. That's the only That's because my brain wasn't working anymore. See, I like, I like how... I like how that is how you, that's the metric you judge by how like loopy you were. I found the irregular at Magic High School funny guy was <laughs> fucked up. You know, like, oh man, that was that was best convention ever. Haven't been to one since. <laughs> <laughs> and Luigi, you actually um you went to your first like mildly like large convention just a yeah, couple of weeks um, ago. So right? uh, I'm from a sm- fairly small town, um, and last summer this town or this city i live in hosts its own little anime convention and my friend and i went to that and it was okay and um so a couple months ago we were like hey let's go to something bigger let's ramp it up so we were gonna drive to a city about four hours away from us um because just because it was slightly bigger and it was in a different city so there'd be different stuff and um my friend texted me 
mm-hmm. one day and he's like, hey, let's go to Calgary to Odafest. And Odafest is the biggest anime convention in Western Canada, um, which probably isn't big on the world scale of things. But for us, it was big enough. Um, <laughs> so long story short, within two hours of that text, we had hotel rooms booked and tickets bought. And we drove seven hours there. Um, our hotel room was attached to the convention hall. So we just like lived at the con for three days. Um, and it was really awesome. I Nothing really funny happened. I met um, Wendy Lee, the voice actress, who's done like Faye from Cowboy Bebop. She was Haruhi in The Melancholia Haruhi Suzumiya. So I got her to sign a couple of my Haruhi art books. And um, you had to pay for the autograph. So when I went up, she also had posters you could buy to sign. And one of them was for the first season. The first season dub of March Comes in Like a Lion, um, which that's my favorite Ooh. anime ever. So I was like, uh, I'll take one of those and an extra autograph because I had to get it signed. Um, so I mm-hmm. bring her these two art, two art books and she signs them and puts my name on it and everything. And then I pull up the poster. I'm like, can you sign this too? And she's like, oh my God you watch this show? I was like, yeah. She was like, oh my, and then she, she like, she like stopped the line and we had like this five minute conversation about how good the show was. She was like, I had such a good time recording it and I helped, I don't remember the guy who voices Ray, but she was like, I helped blah, 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 get his Ray voice down and he did such a good job and oh my gosh, I just can't believe you're like one of the first people to get this poster signed and she just like totally didn't want to talk about Haruhi. She wanted to talk about this show. And I looked up who she was and she was just some minor characters, but it was still pretty cool that she was really hype on a show that she worked on that wasn't Bebop or Haruhi. Cause the, the whole Odafest, the big thing they were doing was a cowboy Bebop panel. So they had Steve Blum who voiced Spike, Wendy Lee who did Faye and uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who was the like the voice director, and she voiced Julia, and they did like a big like reunion mm-hmm. panel, and they all had the little spotlight panels. So Cowboy Bebop was kind of the theme of the convention, and Wendy Lee just wanted to talk about March comes in like a lion, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean it's it's always um, I'm a huge fan of March comes in like too and uh definitely slips under the radar i mean it's it's i think it's a niche show um in terms of its target audience to a certain extent yeah, she was like she was show. like Wonderful. i can't believe they made shogi interesting and i was like i was like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah i've yeah, learned yeah, that exactly. anime can make just about anything interesting if they really try yeah or anything boring yeah, if it's you know. bad enough too you know um so on that note i'm gonna go ahead and wrap up this episode so thank you, everyone, who's been listening to this Annie Tay podcast episode. This was the first episode of our new season four. And if you want any information on kind of like what's going on moving forward, then um, definitely check out the site. We're going to have more information there. And once again, our question this week was what sort of funny anime convention experience you have had. Uh, and so if you have some interesting experiences that you want to tell us about let us know and we will talk about those potentially in the next episode in our question section um and so i'm going to go ahead and end it in the podcast here so thank you uh hybrid luigi and rec for joining me today and we will see you guys 
in the near future in our Take next care. episode. Bye. Bye.